everyone. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 10. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader, what should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, I want to ask that if you find yourself enjoying this podcast, please take a minute and rate and review it on iTunes. Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and let me know there what you think of the show. Today's guest is Jansen Bradshaw, creator of the blog Everyday Reading. We talk about books with strong plotting, how you can be a serious reader and love Matt Damon, and of course, what she should read next. Let's get to it. Jansen, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Well, it's great to talk to you in person. So Jansen, you're a person who has a blog called Everyday Reading, which my blog readers told me about, by the way. So that's that's how I first came upon you. I forgot that. Yeah. Um, The reading community, it looks out for each other. Oh, so nice. I was really super flattered. So obviously reading plays an important role in your life. You even professionally were a reader and a curator of books during your time as a children's librarian. Now you read for your own, you read to your kids. Tell me a little bit about the role of reading in your life. Well, I grew up in a family that loves to read. And I feel like as an adult now, I recognize that it's not that common to have two parents that both are pretty big readers. Um, I'm li- I'm listening to uh, One Summer by Bill Bryson right now, mm-hmm. uh, which is really good. And there's a whole section about Charles Lindbergh. And it's so interesting to me because I am personally interested in Charles Lindbergh because we went on a family vacation when I was probably 10 or 11. And my dad was reading Charles Lindbergh's biography. Why? I have no idea if that, <laughs> why that was of interest, but he brought that along. And so he'd read us these long passages at dinner or, you know, while we're at a restaurant waiting for to be served or driving in the car, like, oh, listen to this great part while, he, while he's flying across the Atlantic and what he's thinking about when he can't see out the window because it's not, you know, in front of him, it's on the side and he has to crane his neck. And, you know, so I just grew up with parents that both loved to read and they shared that a lot. It wasn't like reading was something that they did off on their own in their private time. It was something that was pretty visible to me as a kid. And then they both read out loud to us a lot, especially my mom um, read out loud to us through through high school. I mean, we read Tale of Two Cities together when I was in 10th or 11th grade. And, um, so it was just a big part of my growing up. And then I went to college and I really didn't read almost at all except for school until um, I graduated. I mean, I was a history major, so I was still doing a fair amount of reading. Um, But then when I graduated and was working full-time, I had this feeling like, oh, I should go to the library and check out books. And I remember thinking, I I don't even know what to read, which is such a funny thing to think now because, you know, like most book bloggers or people who read a lot of book blogs, my to-read list is so long. I mean, it'll never reach it. Any, I mean, I could live to be a thousand and still never hit everything on there. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember going to the library and thinking, I can't think of one book I want to read or, uh, you know, to pick off the shelves, which is just so funny to me now. But, um, but, but since then, so in the last ten years since I graduated from college, that's been a huge part of my life, both like you said, professionally and just what I like to do on my own. And 
I like it as an escape. You know, I had a friend who said, her husband said to her, you read books like other people watch television and you feel really <laughs> high and mighty about it, but you're just reading escapist things. And I read, you know, that kind of thing too, that are just fun and fluffy. Mm-hmm. But I also like reading nonfiction or things, you know, parenting books or books about food. I feel like, you know, I, I read fairly widely that all sorts of books appeal to me. And so reading for me is, you know, entertainment and educational and, you know, little parent or marriage or self-therapy about how can I make my life better, my relationships better, or parent in a better way, or what can I make for dinner, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You're actually sounding like a textbook avid reader. (laughs) No, seriously, I heard this presentation at Book Expo in America where one of the guys from the, it wasn't Goodreads, but it was a site like that, said that people who they define as avid readers turn to books. If they want to cook something, they don't look up something on the internet, they grab a cookbook. And if they want to learn about something, they go to a book. If they want to know about parenting, they go to a book. Like books are the go-to repository of information for people, for people like us, I think. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. So let me explain how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately. And then we'll talk about what you should read next. Not like you need any more books for your list, but <laughs> but you know, avid readers will always take more. Keep, you know, they can't help but adding to it. Okay. Let's start with your favorites. Tell me three books you love. Um, I just read and loved When Breath Becomes Air, which I noticed on your blog you said was one you probably wouldn't read, but I thought it was phenomenal. And I mean, I don't think that you would, you were saying you didn't think it would be phenomenal, just that it wasn't probably the book for you. You're right. I'm a little afraid of it because those memoirs about people who are faced with incurable sudden illnesses really punch on my buttons and not in a good way. But I'm open because I keep hearing people rave about it. So tell us a little bit more about it and why you loved it so much. So it's a memoir. So true nonfiction about a doctor um, in at Stanford. So he's gone through all his medical training. He's kind of at the culmination about a year from finishing up his fellowship in neurosurgery, which you can imagine is many years of training, mm-hmm. and um, then gets diagnosed with lung cancer, severe lung cancer. And his odds of being a 36-year-old, not never smoked person getting this is like 0.01. I mean, just your odds are so low that you would ever get this. But of course he does. And as a doctor, he kind of knows for several weeks or months before he goes in that he probably has cancer. And um, his wife is, a, um, I think, a pathologist. So she's a doctor too. They met mm-hmm. in med school. And so they both kind of know this is not going to be good. Yeah. And so he lives about two years after this diagnosis, but he he's trying to kind of make sense of what do I do with the rest of my life? Because we all know we're going to die. We just assume it's going to be, you know, 30 or 50 or 60 years from now. Mm -hmm. So when that's closer to you, what do you choose to do with your life? And, you know, especially with something like cancer, you don't really know. I mean, it could be six weeks or it could be, you know, six or 10 years that you treatment keeps you going. And so he ends up, one of the things he's always wanted to do, he felt like he'd do 20 or 30 years in medicine, and then he's always wanted to be a writer. Um, He's very funny in this book. He tells a little thing at the end. Um, 
he quotes an email that he sent to a friend when he got diagnosed and he says, the good news is I've already lived longer than two Brontes, Stephen Crane and uh, someone else <laughs> that I can't think of. And he says, mm-hmm. but the bad news is I haven't written anything yet. Yeah. So it's always been, you know, something that was really important to him. So he decides that he's going to, and he does go back to medicine for a while and keeps practicing, but his big focus that last year of his life is writing this book and, you know, makes his wife Lucy promise that she'll try and get this published for him. And a book deal, he does get a book deal about three months before he dies. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't really quite finish the book, Mm -hmm. um, but close enough. And then his wife writes the epilogue. So I felt like the book itself was not just like heartbreaking, you know, Mm -hmm. that push your buttons kind of thing, but that epilogue written by his wife, that, you know, pull out the Kleenex for that one. I mean, that part is a killer. Um, anyway, so he's, he says, and this made me feel like it was different than other books that I've read about people facing death. He said that his goal with this book was to make it, um, that everybody is going to die and everybody knows they're going to die. And so he wanted this book to be an opportunity for someone to basically get in his shoes and say, this is what the landscape looks like when you're facing death. And someday this is going to be me. And I want to think through these things when it's not me right now. And so he says he hopes that's what people are able Mm -hmm. to experience with this book, which I thought was really sweet and also makes it less like, wow, this is the most terrible thing that's ever happened. But to say, everybody's going to go through this. And how am I going to deal with it when it's my turn? Because it's going to be my turn at some point, whether that's in six weeks or, you know, in 60 years. Mm -hmm. Jansen, have you read Being Mortal by Atul Gawande? Yes. In fact, that's why I wanted to read this one Mm -hmm. is because so many people said it was similar to that one. And I listened to that last summer when we were doing our cross-country Durham to Phoenix Mm -hmm. drive of doom. And it made it just fly by. I kept being like, do uh-huh. we have to stop for gas? Really? We could we could go a little longer. Right. I know. The book was so, yeah. I wouldn't recommend that to you because it is, it's too similar. But I'm glad to hear you've read it because yeah. I was just really, it sounded so heavy. Like I almost didn't read it for similar reasons to the, why I'm debating about when breath becomes air. Right. But he's just, he's such a great storyteller. So I have the feeling your next book is going to be a change of pace. What's your second favorite? <laughs> uh, the next one is The Martian. Um, which so many people recommended to me and I watched, I don't know if, you know, you're going to take away my real reader badge for this, but I just <laughs> wanted, I just wanted to read it before I saw the movie with Matt Damon. I love Matt Damon. And when I saw that they had made this movie, I thought, well, I've got to read the book first, but it was really the movie that made, I would never have picked up that book. I don't think if I hadn't known it was already being made into a movie. I just want you to know my official position on this topic is you can be a serious reader that, you know, picture that capitalized. <laughs> so you can be a real reader and love Matt Damon. Okay. Well, that, that is makes okay. me feel better. Okay. All right. So I can get that because I didn't, I wouldn't have read it either if I didn't keep hearing about how great it was because it just didn't seem like my typical genre. Is that, exactly. is that what you thought? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big sci-fi reader and especially, you know, everybody says about The Martian, the science is so solid in this. And all the scientists have said, you know, if we really were to go to Mars, this would be how it is. And that's a total turnoff to me. I am not, I do not want to read heavy science books. Uh Yeah. I get a little lost when it sounds like a high school textbook. Exactly. Um, Well, I think unlike so many books, when you talk about the plot of this book, it does make it actually sound like a book I'd want to read. It really, you read this one? I have. So give us the short little plot synopsis for people who haven't read it. Okay. This time I'll actually be short. (laughs) 
No so pressure. The main character is part of an American manned mission to Mars, and they're supposed to spend about 30 days up there. But on day six, they there's this huge dust storm, and so they have to abort and you know get off the planet. But the, in this dust storm, they lose. Um, now I can't even remember what's his name, uh, Matt Damon's character. It Mark is it Mark Watney? Oh, Mark Mark is Watney. that it? Yes, there we go. Okay. Thank you. Um, so Mark gets um, l- separated from his group, and then some debris goes right through his suit and makes it look like he's dead because it kills his computer. Um, but then through a bunch of scientificy things, it turns out you know things seal up and his life is saved but they his whole crew thinks he's dead so of course everyone on earth thinks he's dead too and he wakes up and they're gone and he's stuck on mars and he figures it's gonna be about 400 days 700 days many 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 it's a long time yeah it's longer than he has food or exactly because he only has a you know like what 100 days of food or something like that because he has all their supplies that they've left and so he has to figure out how to make it until the next mission comes back to mars and assuming that they don't cancel the next mission because they think they've killed someone up on mars Mm -hmm. and it's so fantastic and so funny and tons of swearing yes you're right i forgot about that okay what's book three uh book three is the wednesday wars by gary d schmidt i love that one i've been pushing that on my kids for years and i finally got them to read it i know a couple months ago it made me so happy okay you know i always feel like People always ask, oh, what's your favorite book? And that's just an impossible question. But if I had to pick one all-time favorite book, it would probably be this one. I love this book. I feel like most, I feel like so many, especially blogger readers, have book writing ambitions, and I don't. I don't really feel that, like, push to write that other people seem to. But if I did write a book, I would want it to be this one. I Mm -hmm. think this is just such a well-written, fun, beautiful book. Um, I just think it's amazing. Yes. So it's typically categorized as middle grade. Right. Um, Yeah. So kind of that like sixth to eighth grade, fifth to eighth grade level. Yeah. But for adults as well, I don't who C.S. Lewis said like a book that's written just for children isn't a good children's book or. Right. But it is written for middle schoolers, but it has such emotional resonance no matter what age you are. It's not a lightweight Right. It's not. And I made my husband listen to it after I read it. And he listened to, you know, maybe 30 minutes. And then he's in the car and he said, you know, I like it, but I don't think I'm going to like it as much as you do. (laughs) Then by the end, he was like, that was the most amazing book. So I felt really uh, gratified by that. Right. And the author combines really improbable subject lines and weaves them all together. And that really packs a punch. Yes. And I feel like you're probably going to ask me to do a quick summary of it. And this book is almost impossible I think because there's so many things going on, you know, it's kind of about the Vietnam War. It's about his family. His dad's kind of difficult and his sister's, you know, kind of trying to figure out where she fits into the family. And, you know, with the 70s, you know, late 60s and early 70s kinds of things going on. And then he's in these Shakespeare plays and his, you know, his relationship with his teacher. There's just a lot going on. I feel mm-hmm. like it, it's hard to just sum up in a tidy package. Right. But it doesn't feel scattered. Like no, it all pulls together all. beautifully. It feels like, you know, I've actually heard Gary Schmidt speak at a library conference many uh-huh. years ago. Jealous. And he, 
And he talked about he lives in Michigan on this farm and he has this outbuilding and like two miles from his house or whatever. And he treks out there in the winter with his dogs and sits in this little like 10 by 10 outbuilding with a stove and he types he types everything on a real typewriter he does two pages a day and then the next day he rewrites those two pages by typewriter and then does another two pages and then the next day he goes and does like the two pages and the two pages and a new two pages and I feel like when you read his books there's that feeling like someone has crafted this and you know they didn't just like sit down and blitz out 60,000 words I mean he has really thought carefully about the writing and the story and how it all fits together now, now for the fun part. Tell me one book you hate and don't hold back. Okay, well. Especially if the author is dead or too famous to care. Okay, well, too famous to care happily mm-hmm. is uh, Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. And in fact, I've read just in the last few months Big Magic mm-hmm. and so many people recommend it. And I was like, you know, it was one of the, I'm sure you have this as a reader where when someone recommends a book that you know you're never going to read, it's kind of like, Oh, fantastic. One book I don't even have to worry about. (laughs) And I felt that way about this book. Like it's on every bestseller list. Mm -hmm. I'm getting recommended all over the place. And I'm like, don't even have to worry about it because I cannot stand her books after I've read one whole book. And then I read what made you pick it up? I had two friends who I really, really trust both loved it. Uh And so I was like, well, I'll give it a chance. And I really did love it. But man, eat, pray, love. I just, I, I, I've never read that. I mean, I feel like I have a general awareness of what it's about yeah, and why a lot of people don't like it, but there, you know, there's lots of reasons to not like a book. So yeah. And tell me, you know, I is it the never... writing? Is it the tone? Is it? Yeah. I think it just was felt so self, I don't know. Is aggrandizing the right word? It just felt so like self-absorbed, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I never would have finished it except somebody that I worked with gave me their copy and raved about it. And mm-hmm. I felt like I cannot give this back and say I didn't even finish it. <laughs> so I, I mean, otherwise I just never would have finished it. But mm-hmm. because, and that's why I never like to borrow people's books because I don't want that kind of pressure. I can give right. my library books back and nobody asks me if I finish them. Mm-hmm. And if I own the book, I can just stick it on the shelf and never finish it. But when someone lends you a book that you have to get back, then they're going to ask you what you thought of it at the end. Jansen, what are you reading right now? I am listening um, to Bill Bryson's book, One Summer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the subtitle is something like America in 1927 or 1927 America, mm-hmm. um, which is excellent. And then I'm reading On the Banks of Plum Creek with my daughter, which is so fun. Mm-hmm. First time and, or doesn't? There's somewhere in between. Um, this is probably my third or fourth time reading uh-huh. it, but I, once I turned about 20, I mean, I didn't have any kids when I was 20, but I thought, I'm not going to read these. And I mean, I hadn't read them since I was probably 11 or 12, Mm. but that was kind of the time when I was thinking, oh, maybe I should reread these. And I was reading a lot of children's literature then. And I thought, nope, I'm going to hold off on these. So when I read them with a child someday, they will Mm -hmm. be fresh and new. And she's finally old enough to, and she loves them. So Mm -hmm. it's been so fun to read them. I never read those as a kid. I just read them for the first time when my first grader had to read, um, Little House in the Big Woods for school. And I was like, oh, you know, Laura Ingalls, Wilder, everybody has to read them, blah, blah, blah. And then I started reading them. I had no idea what I was missing out on. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. I and then we found the audiobooks by Cherry Jones. Those are so oh, fantastic. That makes a big difference. I love a good audiobook. Oh, and then I just 
um, about two days ago, finished The Lake House by Kate Morton is the other one I've been reading in the last week. Good, bad. What did you think? You know, I really liked it. I've only read one of her other books, Mm -hmm. which was The Secret Keeper. Mm -hmm. So this is only the second one I've read. And I enjoyed it. And it was one, I don't often have that. I don't stay up late and read very often. I am very serious about my sleep, but I stayed up till past midnight. I didn't quite finish it, but I got far enough, close enough to the end that I felt like, okay, I can wait till tomorrow to see how the last things wrap up. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I don't have that like heart pounding. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. How's this going to work mm-hmm. out? Feeling very often, but I did with this one. So it was really a fun read. I did feel like this one, I'd actually just listened to your podcast where someone mentioned it and you said that she likes her endings wrapped up neatly, which was kind of in my head as I was finishing this book. But I thought this one was maybe a little too neat. It just all came together just a little more perfectly than I could (laughs) quite swallow, where I didn't feel that way about The Secret Keeper. I felt like it was clever, but not so over the top where it was like, this was a lot of coincidence and you know, things all working out just perfectly. Right. So, I mean, it was a great, I really enjoyed reading it, but at the end it gave me a little bit of that, like, ah, it's a little bit of a stretch feeling. Mm -hmm. Before we go to picks for you, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? I feel like I'd like to be more Mm -hmm. intentional about making time for reading. I'm a fast reader. So, you know, people are always like, oh, how do you get so much reading in? Well, I read a lot with my daughters and I listen to a lot of audio books and I'm a fast reader. So when I do read, you know, I can, you know, plow through like 400 pages of Kate Morton in two days, Mm -hmm. you know, without too much trouble. But I feel like I don't have good reading. Like I don't make time very well for reading and I'm trying to figure out how to do better about that so that I can have more consistent reading time in life because that brings me a lot of happiness and I'm happy when I'm in the middle of one or two or five good books. But, um, you know, I, I kind of struggle of where, where to fit that in. Like I said, I don't stay up late and read and, uh, you know, I have little kids, so I kind of, I don't have a lot of time to just sit down and read. I don't, you know, I work from home, so I don't have a commute to listen to audio books, you know, it's like (laughs) only readers get sad about that. I know. I know. If only I had a commute, my Uh life would be so much better. (laughs) Well, you might finish more books. Yeah, I certainly would. Which is kind of the same thing sometimes. You yeah. know, better life, more books. Okay, well, I have ideas for you. You have very Great. interesting choices here on the table. And I'll tell you all about them after the break. Hey, readers. Before we get back to my picks for Jansen, I want to tell you how you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day trial from Audible so you can check out their service for yourself. Just go to audibletrial.com slash readnext and get your free download. I'm a heavy user myself. I just finished Between the World and Me by Tana Hesse Coates last week and have spent a few days debating what to listen to next. I just, like 20 minutes ago, took your recommendations and downloaded Watership Down, a book I've been meaning to read for ages. Readers, you can try either of these books or thousands of others just by going to that link, audibletrial.com slash readnext. Now back to my conversation with Jansen. Okay, welcome back. So, Jansen, what do you think I'm going to say about your books? Well, I was thinking um, they're all first person, um, and they all have a really strong narrative voice, mm-hmm. and they all have um, they all have kind of a serious topic. You know, mm-hmm. Vietnam War, stuck mm-hmm. on Mars, dying of lung cancer, mm-hmm. but also some humor and 
fast paced story and all of them, you kind of get right into the story. It's kind of the opposite of Kate Morton where you kind of have this long ramp up. They all kind of jump right in. And yet you're reading Kate Morton. So we, you know, we have yeah. to take that into consideration. Yeah, that's true. And Bill Bryson. Yes. Yes. Okay. You're also kind of all over the place. I you've know. Got, you've got astronauts and British detectives and major wars and mystery writers. And middle grade. And memoir. And, yeah. Baseball. Yeah. There mm-hmm. you go. So good luck. Huh. Thanks. Well, <laughs> I also noticed that your favorites and current reads are, they are straightforward. They're unpretentious. Like you didn't pick anything highly stylized or no MFA fiction. Yes. Nothing where anybody's going to go gushy over the sentence structure. Right. And in fact, I always feel like when somebody, I think I even wrote this when I talked about When Breath Becomes Air, I said, you can't really sit, talk about this book without saying how beautifully written it is. But whenever anybody says that, that's a turnoff to me. If someone says, <laughs> it's such a beautifully written book, I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to like that one. It's going to be long and dull. You know, that's what that means to me. Even though mm-hmm. I think there are books that are beautifully written that I do really love, when that's the main thing about a book, like The Night Circus is another one that everybody loved that I was like, is there any plot in this book at all? Or are we just going to listen for 12 CDs to this amazing writing. It's kind of how I felt about that one. Yeah, like get to the point already. Exactly. Okay, so we're going to pick books that get to the point already for sure. Okay. Okay, so here's what I pulled away from your books. Okay. You've, your favorites are all about people in absolutely impossible situations. So that's not a huge surprise because without tension, there is no plot. But you really went for the like superlatives here. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anything ordinary here. I want the worst <laughs> of the worst. Stick me on Mars here. Exactly. Or, you know, that's funny. We were talking about Jupiter, too. Oh, yeah. The further out, the better. Um, I'm, I'm interested in hearing if you did that on purpose or if it just happened that way. Do you see got books about unusual situations? No, and I don't think I would have even thought of that, that those three books had that in common, that they were all kind of these extreme, you know, unbelievably rare lung cancer stranded on Mars with the whole world thinking you're dead. So not even trying to rescue you. And then Vietnam war or Kate more in this murder mystery of, you know, her little brother is gone, maybe killed, maybe kidnapped. Um, yeah, I guess those are, but I, I would never have thought of that. Okay. There are lots of books about people in impossible situations. <laughs> I have to think really hard about which ones we're going to put on the table. Okay. I feel confident about the first one. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I can't wait. Book one is The Light Between Oceans by Margot Stedman. Oh, What do you know about this one? Um, I have not read it, but um, my mom's book club read it. And of course, I, I feel like it was a pretty hugely popular book, so I've certainly seen it. I have to say, in fact, the reason I haven't read it is because I could never find an audiobook of it. <laughs> that's a, I get through a lot more audiobooks than anything else. Yeah, so. I can tell by our conversation that you always say, I heard, not I read. Oh, yeah. So that, I guess, at this stage of my life with three little kids, audiobooks are much faster and easier for me to get through than a paper or Kindle book. But um, I, can, I can buckle down and read a paper copy of this one. Well, I'm, I'm Googling now. I don't know how long it's been out, but there is now an unabridged audio version on Audible. Oh, perfect. And maybe it took them a long time to put that out for whatever reason. The maybe book itself so. is four or five years old, so you would have had plenty of time to check and have their Yes, I'm sure. I, I probably have just 
you know how it is once a book is you kind of checked on it and then you kind of forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know that all too well. Okay. So let me tell you about why I think this is a good pick for you. Great. It's set in Western Australia. It's about a married couple, Tom and Isabel, and they live together on a remote island, just the two of them, because Tom is a lighthouse keeper. And they desperately want a family, and it is just not happening for them. So Isabel has one miscarriage and then another, and then she has a very late-term stillborn baby, and she is absolutely despondent. And it's she's a wreck. Their marriage is a wreck because of this issue. And then fate intervenes, or at least that's how Isabel sees it, and a boat holding a dead man and a crying baby, who very much alive, washes up on their shore. And Isabel thinks it's a gift from God. So first she persuades Tom not to mention this in his log, like just for a couple days. But then the days turn into weeks and turn into year and they're living on their own island. They have no idea what's going on in the outside world. But then it's time for shore leave. And all of a sudden they have this giant wake up call. Like this is someone's child and they miss her. Like this is still an ongoing tragedy for them. And what are we going to do? So they have, I mean, Yeah, they brought it up. No, that doesn't sound good. I was going to say they brought it on themselves. So there's that huge dilemma at the heart of this book, and they need to find a way forward. And it's not easy. It's not pretty. Um, It's not beautifully written, Jansen. But it is definitely a good story. (laughs) I'm not saying it's badly written, but beautiful is definitely not one of the top five adjectives in the hopper. Perfect. I uh, now now I like it better already. <laughs> now I told you your picks were inspirational, and this is not. But it's not depressing. But yeah, straightforward uh, page turner. Okay, That's so would book. you say this is more like on the uh, Kate Morton kind of side, or more like One Breath Becomes Air slash The Martian? Probably an unlikely pairing of books on that side. <laughs> wow. Um, have you read any Susanna Kearsley? No, I don't even know who that is. So that's not going to work to compare it to her. Um, this is straightforward contemporary fiction. Okay. So this is really plot driven. Plot driven. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm in. I'm going to read it. Okay. Even excellent. if I can't find an audio version, but you said there is an Audible. There, so is an, yeah. there is an audio version on Audible. So something I like about Audible is that they can break down the ratings by story and by performance. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So this one has 4.2 on the story and 3.9 on the performance, which is mm-hmm. not amazing, but it's not bad. So maybe I should just check. Usually out I like to find four <laughs> or above. That's only three right. nine. I know. And, you know, I've listened to so many narr- audiobooks. I know that the narrator can make or break it. Okay. Book two. It is Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. Now, oh. I know you've read some Leanne Moriarty. I think I remember some gushing on your blog. Yes. What Alice Forgot is one of my all-time favorites. I love that book. Have you read this one? I have. I read it Ooh. when I was hugely pregnant, and it was just <laughs> such a great escape. I just enjoyed that book a lot. So it was a good pick. I oh, loved it. good. Because it's fun if we can hear, like, if... So the general policy here is it's cool if you've read one of these picks, but not more than one, because we got to get okay. good books to read. But it's so fun to hear of something that I think clusters, like if it actually works for you or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your experience with this one. So, you know, it's these uh, this kindergarten fundraiser parent dinner, something or other, and someone dies. And so then the whole book is kind of flashing back, moving forward to this event, trying to decide was it a murder? Was it an accident? And if it was a murder, whose fault was it? And how did this happen? So, you know, it's quite different 
from some of her other books, I think. Yeah, a lot more like noticeably darker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a little darker. But, you know, I love, you know, what, chiclet or whatever. But I feel like there's so few that I read that I actually really enjoy that actually have a plot and some substance to them. You know, I don't want to just read like, oh, and then she meets this handsome guy and they fall in love and it's all fantastic, you know? Yeah. You know, I like what Alice forgot because there's a really great plot going on and the romance just happens to be part of that story, but not the whole point of the story. So that, I mean, I love Leanne Moriarty. It's going to cost me a lot to not just gush here for 20 (laughs) much I love her. Um, And I think she's funny and she has just interesting, I always like a writer that has, comes up with multiple interesting plot ideas. So, you know, what Alice forgot where she falls off the bike at the gym and when she wakes up, she doesn't remember the last 10 years. She still thinks she's a newlywed, pregnant, totally in love. And now she's on the verge of divorce with three kids and her life is so different than what she thinks it was. And she can't figure out how she got from point A to point B in 10 years. And this one, you know, with these three moms that you're following their stories and all these kindergarten, kindergarten dramas is also, I think, just a very interesting, compelling plot line. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what I I think she's so, that's what she's so good at. So she writes not a woman falls off her bike in spin class. Can't remember anything like that sounds like it sounds like a beach read. It sounds like the fluffiest fluff, you know, like kindergarten yeah. kindergarten moms in a rich seaside community, like at a trivia night with scandal, like total chiclet. But she tackles really weighty issues and they have a depth that stays with you like long after you finish the book, which you can't say for a lot of what you'd pull right. off the, the shelves at your bookstore. Um. So the reason I'm choosing this particular one for you is because in this book, she, the topic of domestic violence really propels the plot forward. Um, At first, you wonder if what you think is happening is actually happening. And then when you start to suspect, yeah, like I think it is, you think like, how are they going to get out of this one? And then there's a parallel line going with the kids. There's like a bullying issue going on. And when you're five, like that's an impossible situation. So women's fiction, definite edge, straightforward. Good plot. Oh, yeah. Because that seems to be important to you. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I guess... You know, when you asked me earlier why I read, I think I said all these rambling things, but I think plot is very important to me that when I read for fun, you know, so not so much nonfiction or parenting or cookbooks, but when I read fiction, I want there to be a strong plot line that carries me along much like I wouldn't watch a television, you know, like The Office. I know people love The Office, but I don't love shows that don't have much of a plot. Mm-hmm. I've just suddenly realized why I do not love The Office like everyone else does. I'm glad you could get that insight here. <laughs> Thank so. you. I, my my television watching life has just really improved thanks to this. You, you're allowed to like Matt Damon and not like The Office. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate The Office. It's just not <laughs> one that I seek out, you know? Mm-hmm. Not, not even the episode where they got married, Jim and Pam. I, I, mean, we were just talking I really about that. have seen probably like 45 minutes total ever of The Office over three or four different episodes. So... I don't, I think I've seen on YouTube the part where they go dancing down the aisle, (laughs) but I think that's it. Yeah. You know, that's okay. That's a lot, a lot of hours that you could spend reading. (laughs) Watching another television show. Okay. So I really had a lot of 
books in mind for your third pick. I've got a YA novel that might even, we might call the prose beautiful, which concerns me. (laughs) Um, We have an adventure story where someone's life is literally um, hanging by like the rope he's that's attaching him to his partner and his partner thinks he's dead and he's cut cut away and into the yeah and nobody's going to go looking for them because or for him because they think he's dead so right right sounds like the martian so i'm in on that one doesn't it i don't know but i don't know if it has enough plot for you jansen oh okay okay so we are going to go with a memoir it is so you've been publicly shamed by john ronson okay i haven't read that i but i've I remember that you wrote about it somewhat recently on your blog, didn't you? If I, it came out last spring, so it was probably then. Um, I think I might have called it one of the scariest books I've ever read. Oh, I um, think that's right. Because it, it was kind of in a roundup. You had several books that you were writing about, I think. Okay. I'll try to find that and put it in show notes. So this book is about um, the very old and very new punishment of public shaming and how Ronson really thinks that our culture with with um, using social media as a tool has really embraced that idea as a way to punish people who um, society, you know, big S, judges right. to have stepped out of line. So he looks into the history of public shaming. Doesn't this sound fascinating? The history of public does. shaming. Really? Because I thought yeah. I just went all history I, textbook I'm on you. I'm all ready to go request this right now. Okay. So people used to be punished this way. You did something scandalous so like the stocks they put you in the stocks Starlet and a yeah so that wasn't stopped because it was ineffective it was stopped because it was thought to be inhumane um so that hasn't happened in society for hundreds of years or at least not not in the west so but with the dawn of social media public shaming is back and it's being carried out on twitter and facebook by ordinary people so and that's so interesting because you don't need a you know government or you know, some official group to do the shaming. Now you can do it on your own, grassroots shaming. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And grassroots shaming is terrifying. So in the book, he walks through several examples of people who have fallen victim to this. So reading the book, like he, in each chapter, he breaks down like a key incident of public shaming from the last say five, 10 years. And a lot of them you're going to remember. You're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember when that blew up on Twitter or I remember when that went viral on Facebook. And it is, it was just really terrifying because you work online. I do a lot of work online. right? And just to think that one tweet you type when you're tired, um, one typo you make could like ruin your, ruin life. your life. Yeah. And your family. Yeah. So it is, I thought it was a lot stronger, like the first two thirds than the end. It kind of peters out. But his material is um, intense. Interesting. Oh, that sounds really just right up my alley. Mm hmm. I don't but, know that you but you're going to want to follow like... this with something cheerful. You're you're going to you're going to want to be um, going back to Laura Ingalls. OK. <laughs> Jansen, what do you think you'll read next? Um. So let's see. Remind me of what? So <laughs> I don't know. We covered a lot of ground. Read. Oh, yes. Okay. The Light oh, Between Oceans a, in the scary um, book. Light Between Oceans and um, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I don't know. I'm kind of a read many things at one time. So I think a nonfiction and a novel at the same time. Who has to pick? I can do both. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I want to hear what you think, especially if you do the audio, because I read both of those on paper. 
Oh, yeah, I will. Okay, well, that sounds great. Thanks for talking books with me today. Thank you. This was so fun. Okay. Hey, everyone. I love chatting with Jansen about her reading life and what she should read next. If you have book recommendations for Jansen, visit the show notes at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com and leave a comment there. Remember, you can connect more with Jansen by visiting her blog, Everyday Reading. That's everyday-reading. Her Instagram account is a favorite. Over there, she's Everyday Reading, no hyphen. Before we go, don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes. Hit subscribe if you haven't already, and then rate and review the show. Thanks again so much for listening. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Okay, readers, that's it for this episode of What Should I Read Next? As Reiner Maria Rilke says, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.